In this episode, we speak on the struggles of making friends as parents of autistic children, as well as the unique challenges our kids face when building friendships. Welcome to Embracing Autism, a podcast for parents of autistic children seeking advice and support while spreading awareness and acceptance of autism spectrum disorder. I'm Leah. And I'm Matt. And each week we will discuss our journey with autism and talk about how to embrace your child's individuality while providing guidance, tips, resources, and sharing our personal stories. This is Embracing Embracing Autism. Autism. Hey everyone, welcome back. Today we're going to be talking about... The F word. Friendships. 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 Yes. Um, Uh, But this is a word. It might as well be a four-letter word because it (laughs) is. It depends on the stress it creates in your life, I suppose. Right. Or it's also like very challenging and difficult and frustrating. That's that's another F word. But (laughs) (laughs) I feel like um, when it comes to friendships and parenting special needs children, I, I honestly, I feel like the two don't coincide too great. Like you tend to just struggle in that area a lot. Well, I think it's it's uh, twofold as far as the challenge. It's the building and maintaining friendships on a parent level, but then it's also focusing on assisting your children in nurturing any type of friendships that they're trying to build as well and trying to set a positive role model for what a friendship is. So I think it, it's kind of a dual challenge of sorts. Yeah, I think it is twofold. And part of that is that once you become a parent in general, that does present difficulties with creating and keeping friendships because usually you aren't able to really hang out with other friends unless they are also parents. And I know for us, that was a big struggle because we were friends with a bunch of people who were maybe married or dating, but none of them had children. So for us, that made it a lot more difficult to hang out because we'd always have to bring our children. But then you throw on special needs on top of that. And even if you're lucky enough to find a friend who has kids and can understand things like bedtime routine that you can't stay out late and things like that, then you have to find somebody who can also on top of that understand and empathize with a child who's autistic and may have behavioral issues or other needs that they might not be used to. Yeah, I kind of think of it as a pyramid. So like at the bottom of the pyramid, it's like all people. And then when you kind of get married, it raises you to a tier or when you're in a relationship, it raises you a tier where you are suddenly hanging out more so with people who are in in that avenue of life. I mean, you still hang out with social friends. But then, of course, as you become parents, it kind of becomes towards the top of the pyramid. And then if you do have children with special needs, it kind of puts you a little bit higher on the pyramid. So, I mean, not saying like you can't hang out with like your single friends, but because you are in a different walk of life with them, it does create challenges that maybe they're not as understanding if your child has a meltdown, if you're not able to do things spontaneously, if you're not able to do mimosas or whatever on like the weekend <laughs> or brunch or whatever. Um just like the the standard things that you might have done in your like single years or even as you were newly married or in a new relationship. So it does create kind of a more limited pool of candidates for potential friendships to make sure that, I mean, they are kind of in a similar mindset or similar world. Right. You get hit with that where your selections already kind of like dwindle down, but then you get hit with a double whammy in that your schedule is usually totally jam packed with things like therapies or school or whatever you may be doing because of all the extracurriculars involved with caring for an autistic child. If you're like us, where you have multiples, that's even more challenging because if it's not one kid, it's the other. And so I have found that for us, in particular for me, like it's been a real struggle making any sort of friendships that are, I would say, like realistic in terms of being able to actually spend some quality time with that person. 
I have been able to maintain some friends where, you know, we can text here and there, we could do things like that. But in terms of having like these play dates or anything like that, that is definitely an area that I've noticed has been a significant challenge area for us. And I've spoken to other parents and it seems like at least on the women's end, I guess you can tell me, Matt, what you think on the guy's end. But on the women's end, I have noticed that that is something that kind of bums a lot of moms out is like there's this need or desire to build these relationships and these friendships. And we're just not able to really do it anymore. I agree. I think you have, I mean, not you you specifically, (laughs) but also like the women kind of that we're we're talking to. I think that they have the additional challenge. So for me, like my my best friend lives out of state. He lives up north. So I mean, I I text him periodically through the day and I get like a small like social fix. I'm communicating with my best friend even at work. But then also because I'm actually going to a location for work, I consider my coworkers, I'm on good terms with them. I consider them to be friends. So I get a friendship vibe when I'm at work socializing with them, even though it's only during work hours. Um, And then, I mean, obviously I'm coming home, but so I don't hang out with them outside of work, but I get kind of a fix of sorts as far as the involvement with friends. But I feel like typically the moms in the group, you might be more so kind of the nurture, taking care of the kids, taking them to therapies. I don't want to make a generalization. No, that's accurate because that's a common complaint I hear is how right. the moms always do all that. So, so, and I mean, I mean, I feel like that's mostly, I mean, just true, just in, as a generalization, even if your kids are not special needs, the bulk of the work as far as helping out with the children, taking them wherever falls to the mom, that further restricts the time that they would necessarily have to plan a get together with friends. So you almost have to schedule and coordinate with others to be able to maximize any type of friendship or socialization outside of the family. Now, I have seen some great ideas in my local community to be able to do that. There's this one place, Imaginarium, and it is a place that is actually run by a mom of an autistic child. And so it's kind of like an indoor play area. And because of that, because it is run by a parent who understands and empathizes and lives with autism, essentially, she makes it so that it is very easy to create these like sensory play environments and you can do like group play activities. And the facility also offers like some childcare options where they'll have their staff watch your kids while you can like work on your computer and stuff like that. So having things like that in your local community is really great. I would recommend looking around and seeing if you find anything like that, because that's a great way to be able to socialize where all the moms kind of come, they drop their kids off there, the kids are taken care of, they're playing, and you can sit down and chat because the staff is watching your kids. I know that's difficult to find because I know for us, it's quite a commute to get to that location. So we can't really do it very often. But if you happen to be one of the lucky few that's in an area that's a little more suburban to urban, you might have resources like that available to you. And I would say so Imaginarium is kind of like an indoor play facility for children. So I mean, thankfully, because it's indoors, I mean, and they do a great job of kind of like putting walls up so they can't like run off and just like go exploring in the parking lot or anything. Right. So I mean, um, once they kind of close like the, the door, you can kind of socialize with your friends or whoever is there with you. But also, I mean, more broadly, if you're able to find a a facility, a playground that's kind of closed in, you don't have to worry about your child wandering off. You can take advantage of that equally as much so as Imaginarium in this case, because I mean, your kids would be in a safe place where they're not necessarily able to wander off. 
If you basically are looking out for these places that are structured in a way that your kid will be safe so that you don't have to be running after them all the time, that kind of allows you a moment to sit down, which opens the door for opportunity to be able to talk to like other parents that are there. So get the coffee first, then go there so you can like sit down. (laughs) I feel like that's a hard, that's a hard bargain. There's no way I can get coffee with my two autistic toddlers. (laughs) That's true. Drive through a drink in the car, I suppose. Uh, But another thing that you can do that is something that I've done and I've had a little more success with is if you are bringing your children to therapy sessions all the time, a lot of the time, especially under COVID, parents have had to kind of stay in like a waiting area and they weren't really allowed in the buildings and things like that. And for me, that presented an opportunity to get to know the other moms or parents who are in that waiting area. And I've gotten the opportunity to get to know them because our children have been going to this facility for like a year and a half. So that's a year and a half of running into the same person for five minutes like every day, you know. So that to me presented itself as a natural opportunity to try to make friends with somebody who has a lot in common with us. And, you know, you get to chit chat about things that you totally relate, like elopement or, oh, my goodness, my kid finally said bah, you know, like things that neurotypical parenting wouldn't ever grasp or really understand or really admire the way we do. So that to me has presented another opportunity or avenue to make friendships. And I think it's helpful. I mean, in this case, because the little mini school that our our girls go to, it's specifically for autistic children. So the parents that are going to these, the school, these therapies have autistic children. So they understand kind of the world as far as like, okay, like my kid is having like a meltdown. So it's not like a like judgment of you must be a terrible parent because your, your child is on the ground, like screaming and crying. It's like, no, we know the situation. We go through it with our own kids. So everyone's just like, no, we get it. Like, I mean, it's not any, it, it almost feels like a judgment-free zone where you can kind of take down your mask and it's just kind of like free, essentially. Yeah, it's like more authentic. You right. can be your authentic parent self, right. basically. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times, it's been several times at this point that I have been at the facility and my kid is melting down bad and everybody's watching and they're all parents of autistic children, so they get it. So they always kind of like, you know, do the whole solidarity thing. They'll pat me on the back. They'll say, you got this or you're a good mom, things like that. That if you were in that situation in public with people who didn't have autistic children, you'd probably get the polar opposite reaction. So I would definitely recommend that if you're going to these therapy clinics and there are other moms or dads in the waiting area, definitely strike up a conversation and see if you can like exchange phone numbers. And my facility, we did exchange phone numbers. You could get together in like a group text chat or you can maybe friend each other on Facebook and do like a group chat there or something, but like keep in touch because your kids are probably becoming each other's friends there anyway. So you might as well try to be friends with the parent as well. I think the other thing also is that we try and take advantage of is when our kids go down to bed, if we have someone who's able to come to our house to kind of just make sure that there's nothing wrong while they're sleeping. And I mean, the two of us can go out um, or like if they're in a nap, we're able to go out to like lunch with friends or something. If it's like local and we have someone that's at the house making sure like our kids are okay. So, I mean, there are, I mean, ways that you can kind of get out a little bit to kind of socialize outside of um, just the the typical day-to-day routine. And of course, we do live in a digital age, so using social media is also an option. There's also this app that I've tried, but I've kind of held off because I want to wait till we move before I start trying to make friends in the area because it doesn't make sense to make friends in the move. But it's called Peanut, and I'm sure many of you have already heard of it. But if you go on Peanut, it's kind of like dating app except for making friends. 
And the cool thing is they just added this feature. It is the ability to essentially create like a voice chat room so that everybody has kind of the ability to talk to each other in a group fashion. So like instead of group texting, you're basically group voice chatting, which is pretty cool for being able to do it remotely and virtually. So that's another avenue that you can kind of explore too. I think of like uh, like the gaming channels, like when like gaming with like your friends or whatever. It's basically all, <laughs> the same thing. Where you're all like yelling at each other and like, yeah. Except I mean, we're not yelling at well, each yeah, other. Well, <laughs> yeah. So well, that's not like guys. I, mean, I don't know. Maybe we are. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Well, you mean not like anything like mean or whatever, but just like, oh, like, you know, just. We wouldn't dumb, know. <laughs> dumb guy things, I guess. <laughs> But yeah, that's like, that's another, another avenue to potentially pursue is like, look into these apps. If you are somebody who goes to church, that's a great place because a lot of them have special needs programs too. And again, that's a great place to seek out people who can understand and empathize with your specific parenting situation. We also run a monthly parenting virtual club where we meet virtually online on our Facebook at Autism Wish. I have made personally some friends on there. It's been pretty fun because we've run this chat group since what about a year now i think i think so yeah so we've held these chat sessions for about a year now and a few of the people that i talked to have been there since the very beginning so i've been talking about them and their kids and their journey with autism and our kids for the past year now so obviously a year of hanging out you start to form bonds and connections so i feel like that's another route to go if you guys don't have any other resource And then outside of the parents, as far as finding friendship, I think it's also important that we kind of focus on our children as well to make sure that they are knowing how to kind of go about finding friends, nurturing friendships kind of along the way. For Autism Acceptance Month, I've been doing these like autism facts on the website on Autism Wish Facebook page. And one of the things that I ran into was basically the prevalence of the feeling of loneliness among autistic individuals. And it ranged from young age to adulthood. But of course, the significant majority fell in kind of that like teenage range, which makes sense because even neurotypical teenagers struggle struggle with, with that. Right. But it's even more so challenging for autistic children. And so it's really important for us to try to help them find a way to feel less lonely and help them be able to develop these relationships and friendships, even if it has to be in an atypical way. If your kid's nonverbal, we're not going to expect them to go and strike up a conversation with a stranger and build a friendship that way. So sometimes we have to kind of find ways to get creative and accommodate that. Kind of like setting up an arranged marriage, but like an arranged with your, friendship with your, kid, with your kid, right? if that makes sense. Well, I was going to say, I think also another approach that we are kind of working towards is finding the interest that our kids are really interested in and seeing if we're able to almost like put them in like little classes or find little clusters of kids that are also interested in very similar things. So for example, both our girls are obsessed with prodigies, the little music. Yeah, the um, little music lessons. Right. So we're thinking like in the future, like, oh, okay, perfect. If they're really interested in music. Let's see what opportunities we can find for them as far as like learning how to play music and see if there would be like kids around their age that also are really like invested in learning music because then they have the commonality there. And then from there, they can start to branch out and find if there's any potential area that they interact with outside of music alone. The big struggle here in this area that I find is from the research that I've done, and I mean like scientific research, but also just talking to autistic adults and their experiences. This area of building friendships and relationships is really complicated because for autistic individuals, 
there's often the assumption that they're antisocial, meaning like they aren't really interested in social interactions. They don't really want friends like, oh, they're fine without it. But from the autistic adults who have been able to communicate their experiences, I've noticed that there's actually this big trend towards a yearning for these friendships and relationships, but an inability to gain those friendships and relationships. So it's honestly like pretty sad what I've heard where it's like people think and people assume that just because I'm over here doing my own thing, that I don't want to be your friend, that I don't want to go and hang out at your birthday party. But that's not the case. It's oftentimes just that they're not able to communicate it or perhaps they are feeling enjoyment, but they don't express that they're feeling enjoyment in the way that you would expect. They're not smiling. They're not laughing. They're not engaging but they're still experiencing joy. And because of that, sometimes people don't want to be friends with autistic kids or adults because they assume you're not interested. So that's like an area that we as parents can try to help explore how can we maybe build a bridge so that our kids have an easier time with that. I mean, even just communication among people is complicated because not everyone is straightforward with their intentions. I mean, you have uh, sarcasm, you have all sorts of other devices in language that unless you are in the know, you're completely left out. So, I mean, I could make a joke to a friend who, if we're on the same page and it's an inside joke, we understand that it's a joke, but to someone else, they might be like, wow, you're so rude to like make that statement to your friend. And it's like, well, no, we have a rapport. We have a relationship. So it is additionally complicated for, I mean, just anyone in general. So, I mean, if you're missing those social cues, I mean, it makes communication so much more complicated. Honestly, that's a perfect example because it's kind of like when it comes to your autistic child, they are the ones that are not able to understand the inside joke. The whole world has this inside joke when it comes to these social relationships and friendships, and your autistic child is the one that hasn't been explained why this joke is funny. Like, what is it that makes it this inside joke a joke? They're on the outside, essentially, socially. Like, they don't understand. So it's up to us to explain the joke. It's up to us to teach them or give them some sort of accommodation or adaptability, or maybe not even them, perhaps the environment, like adapt the environment to them in a way that perhaps you're explaining to the other kids. Hey, he doesn't get this. Can you try talking to him in this sort of language? Or can you try inviting him even if it looks like he's not interested? Maybe engage with the kid's parents and see if those parents would be willing to help out and have their kid kind of try to accommodate your kid. And I think that's why we kind of go for as far as the acceptance, as far as not just like autism awareness, but if you're actually accepting the autistic child, because one of my friends, he has two neurotypical children. And one of the questions he's asking is, how can I raise my children to be able to accommodate any of the interests or be able to be active with like your children kind of in the future? Like seeing like, what can I do as a parent to teach my children about autism? And kind of like seeking out, first off, start off with awareness, but then once the awareness is there, build to accept. And so then when our children interact and have conversations or go off and play, it's already there and they can go off and play without missing a beat. Yeah, so it's kind of multifaceted, honestly. There is no easy way. There is no quick answer to how can I get friends for my autistic child? There's no quick answer to how can we get friends. But I think the things that we can do for our child is try to provide them with opportunities to practice engaging in these social situations. So you can present them with social stories on how you may want to engage in a certain social situation. Then you can go and advance that to a role-playing situation at home in the comfort of their home with 
no pressure, no force, but just kind of like a play activity of socializing. If your kid's on the older side, the role playing can probably be more complex. But I think giving them opportunities to practice, give them opportunities to be able to learn that script, learn that social script, so that then they have a tool in their tool belt when they go out there in the real world that they can pull out of their little tool belt and say, ah, this is a situation where I should probably reach my hand out and shake their hand and say, hello, how are you? So things like that help them build adaptability. But at the same time, you want to burn that candle from both ends. You also want to be advocating in your local community for more awareness and understanding of what autism means so that when your child goes out there, there's empathy to land on. And I think you raise a good point. I can't remember which therapy it was. It might have been speech therapy that raised the effective communication and effective communication, not necessarily, oh, are you able to speak the same language and communicate effectively? It's the construct that is incorporated into everyday life. If we teach our children to play the game of tag, then they have that to build off of. So then they're able to engage with a friend. Oh, do you want to play tag? Yes, I understand how tag is played. Oh, do you want to play hide and seek? Yes, I've played hide and seek before. I know how the game is played. So if you are able to teach your children these games that we all played as children growing up, then they're able to use those skills. So if they do run into a potential friend at the park and they want to play tag or play another game with them and your child knows what that game is, then they're already leaps and bounds ahead of where they would have been if the other kid is coming up and saying, oh, do you want to play this game? And they have no idea what you're talking about because they have no reference point. I honestly kind of see it like a box of crayons when it comes to autism, at least from our experience with our children. Like our oldest child, I feel like metaphorically speaking with autism, she was born with a box of crayons that only had like three crayons to color with. So those crayons each represent a tool or method that she had to basically socially interact with her peers. And we had to teach her that you don't have just white, yellow, and pink. If you're given a box of crayons that only has white, yellow, and pink, and that's all you've ever seen, it's not like you can conceptualize the color blue. You've never seen blue. So we have to teach our children, hey, there's also this other color. It's called blue. The sky is blue. You can use blue to color on the lake. And then once you've taught blue and they get a good grasp of blue, they can start using blue. But now you can start introducing green and you kind of have to slowly introduce each one of these crayons into their crayon box. But the problem is sometimes when it comes to autism, you can introduce these crayons and then they might forget one. And so sometimes there's that regression. So you have to kind of constantly reinforce it. So I guess what I'm trying to get at here is if your child was like ours, they struggled to be able to naturally and instinctively learn how to negotiate these social situations, but they're adaptable. And depending on the severity of their autism is just how much wiggle room you have there in terms of how much adaptability there is. But there's always room for some adaptability. And our job as parents is to try to give them as many of those crayons as possible so that they can eventually end up creating these beautiful, colorful masterpieces and aren't limited to just the original three colors that they had at the beginning. So when it comes to these social situations, don't be afraid to roll up your sleeves and start coloring. (laughs) Don't break the crayons. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, But yeah, essentially what we want to be doing is trying to find creative ways to introduce these crayons. So think of every social opportunity out there in the world as a way to add a crayon to your kid's box. 
whether that's going to the grocery store and saying, do you want to say hello to the cashier? Just say hello. That could be a crayon. If every single time you go to the grocery store, you teach them the routine of saying hello to the cashier. It could be any anything simple as that, or it can be entire phrases. It can be an entire scenario, like going into the store and paying for something, that whole script of buying a product if they're older. There's so many ways that you can do it. All of that to just say, don't give up on your child and don't stop challenging them. You know, you don't want to overdo it. It's that growth mindset we talked about in an earlier episode. You want to constantly try to kind of stimulate growth. And you do that by presenting bite-sized challenges throughout their lifetime. And maybe not make everything so serious. So find fun ways to incorporate some of these colorful crayons. So like if you're walking on the sidewalk, try and like hop over the line instead of just like walking normally into the store. Just find fun ways to make life fun. <laughs> yes. Use literal color. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. (laughs) But yes, we just want you guys to know that friendships are important. Whether it's for you or your spouse or your child, we can't lose sight of building and developing friendships and relationships because at the end of the day, we are human social animals. Like we need social interactions to stay happy. I always think of The Sims. If you guys have ever played The Sims computer game, I always think... I kept dying. (laughs) I feel like that was your fault. (laughs) Maybe don't trap it in a room and light it on fire. (laughs) But basically, I think of the social meter, how they have that social bar. And when that social bar gets too low, your sim gets really depressed. Right. Right. So just think of ourselves and our children as that sim character with a social meter. We have to find ways to make sure that our social meter is full so that we don't end up depressed, lonely, stressed, unable to sleep. There's so many good things that come out of building relationships. So it's definitely worth the effort. And if you need a friend, Leah and I are right here. (laughs) I'm just thinking of Toy Story. You got a friend in me. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everyone. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to stop making cheesy jokes and let you all go now. (laughs) All right. Have a good one. Have a good one, everyone. I hope that was helpful. Bye. Bye. To summarize, we discussed how using social stories and role-playing can provide your child with practice to help them be better prepared for future social interactions. We also stressed the importance of finding a social network as a parent and seeking friendships out in areas more likely to empathize, such as with your local therapy center, church, or online community. Tune into our next episode as we talk about the presence of dads in the autism community and answer questions such as, why are dads less vocal about autism? What are some common struggles that dads of autistic children face? And what can we do to better engage dads in the autism community? And should we try? This is Embracing Autism.